in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we can gather together as your people on this day of rest and to seek your face and to know you more fully. Even though this story is so familiar to us, Lord, we know that as we twist the diamond of your scripture, you reveal new truths to us, and we pray that would be the exact case for each and every one of us this morning. And that in so doing, Lord, we would walk away here with hearts warm to the reality of your grace. For in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm sure it's no secret to you that the average American nutritional habits are far from ideal, and uh, I looked up some statistics this week to note that that is exactly the case. I mean, compared to other cultures, we live less years because of our diet. We don't eat. We think we're eating well, but we're not necessarily eating well. We all can't be Zach Jones after all, right? Yeah. Eats impeccably. CrossFit. I'm admiring, you know. Blessed is the young man whose glory is in his strength. I am so weak. And so, but the reality is, in many ways, we're malnourished, even though we think we're eating the right things. We're in this series entitled Discovering the Real Jesus, and today we come upon this incredible miracle where Jesus feeds the 5,000, and he's using hunger and a spiritual metaphor to people who are starving spiritually. Notice in verse 12 that these people, when they had eaten, they had eaten to their fill. They eaten to their full. You know what that's like when you eat and you're so satisfied at the end of the meal? In my home, my favorite meal is the Christmas Day meal. Not Thanksgiving, not Easter, not Fourth of July. Christmas Day, because it's empty nesters now, all our kids are grown and they celebrate at their in-laws' house Christmas Eve. So we invite the staff over for Christmas Eve for clam chowder. It's Kimmy's mother's clam chowder. It's awesome, you know, and we celebrate and it's great. I get up on Christmas Day, have a light breakfast, you know, come to the Christmas Day service at 10 o'clock. If you've never been, I encourage you to come. It's one of the most holy moments of the year where we just keep our lives from the noise of our culture of Christmas on the meaning of the incarnation. It's beautiful. Come home. Kimmy fixes a wonderful brunch. She's still in her jammies. You know, we eat and I crash. You know, I, just, I go for a nap. When I get up, it's later afternoon. The sun's starting to go down. The kids start to come. And we fire up the grill. I've got these steaks that I bought at the West Side Market, New York Strip massive chunks of meat and I take their orders medium rare medium you know medium well well done which is absolutely ruined (laughs) absolutely awful I don't get it but I'll cook it that the way you want it and then we sit down and we celebrate Christmas together and at the end of that I can't even eat the full steak I just eat half of it because we saved the other half for boxing day steak uh, salads. It's great. And so after that meal, more than any other meal of the day, the year, it just feels satisfied. I'm not stuffed. I'm full. And it's great to have your family around, isn't it? You know what I'm speaking of, right? This is what's going on here. 
Jesus wants us to get that in our spiritual lives through this text. And what we learn in this text is that Jesus, as the bread of life, is satisfaction like that for our intellect, satisfaction for all of our person, and satisfaction, most importantly, for our heart. Okay? So let's look at those three things as we look at this text. First, that Jesus is satisfaction for the mind, for the intellect. You know, we know the story, right? You know, Jesus has just trying to get across from the lake, and he sails to the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, which we now know is the Golan Heights. And uh, he gets there, and word went ahead of him. There's this massive crowd that's come because he's already done some miracles. They want to see some more miracles, and they're not all there for the right reasons. And so it's getting toward the end of the day, and he turns to Philip, and he says, figure out how to feed these people. And Philip's like, feed these people? There's no way we can feed these people. Andrew comes along and said, hey, there's a little dude here with five barley loaves and two fish. And you know the rest. You heard Rachel read the rest. Everybody ate and there were leftovers. It's an amazing thing that Jesus had done. And so with those leftovers, what's the effect of that miracle? Verse 15. This must be the prophet coming to the world. They're looking for the Messiah. They're looking for their political king. Let's make him king. And so the second section that I had Rachel read for us is the next day where this whole crowd has come back and they want to see him do the show. This was awesome. Do more of these miracles. He's like the second Moses. We prayed the psalm that prayed and recalled Moses in the wilderness, raining down manna, bringing the quail from the east wind. And they're asking, do it again. Do the stuff. We want to see the miracles. It got their attention that Jesus was more than just a teacher. He's a supernatural, divine being but I'm sure there are some who hear this in our culture, or maybe this is where you are today in any way. You may be thinking, you know, these miracles really are proving something that there is behind Christianity. Well, if we would see miracles like that, that would really be something, right? But would that really be proof that Jesus is the Son of God? No. That's only one argument for Jesus being the Son of God. If you really want to get to who Jesus is, you have to look at the whole body of his ministry. And not just in John, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and see how all these different perspectives come together to reveal God incarnate, Jesus Christ. You look at everything that he does. Everything. Literally, and you ask yourself these questions. If a guy says what he says and does what he does, who must this be? And Jesus is saying, when you think about all these, these don't point merely to a solid argument. It, it, it points to a solid person. 
the being, Jesus Christ. And you have to look at the greater counter, counter argument that we all can have in, in demonstrating that Jesus is who he says he is when we look at the entirety of the scripture. All right? The miracle of the loaves and fishes, the miracle of Jesus calming the waves, the miracle of healing the blind, raising the dead, is all pointing to who he is. Okay, you got to look at the whole picture. And to do that, we do that with our minds. Think, ask questions. It's okay. We should engage the texts and ask those questions. And as we do so, our spiritual hunger will be satisfied. That's a step. That's intellectually. Secondly, it's satisfying for the whole person. In other words, it's a relationship when you get this relationship with Jesus Christ, you understand it will completely reshape the way we live. You know, I mentioned a few minutes ago that these miracles are a demonstration of his great power. But you know, when you really step back and think about it, he could have done some really cool stuff. I mean, if I was Jesus, I would have done the Gandalf fireworks and turned it into a dragon and say, how you like that? You know? Or Dumbledore. You know, just trans, transport yourself to the other side of the island or the city or the state or the world, right? But he didn't do that. What did he do? He did healings. He relieved suffering, sickness, calmed fears. He went after those things and the effects of the fall. Genesis 3, the world's been a mess ever since. And every miracle that Jesus did met a need of someone. He feeds the hungry. He heals the sick. He opens the eyes of the blind. He raises the dead. He calms the storms. Everything is an all-out charge against the effects of the fall. Against human suffering and meeting needs. You remember when John the Baptist sent his disciples to Jesus when he was in prison saying, are you really the Messiah? Really? What did Jesus tell John's disciples to say back to John? Tell John this. The blind see, the lame walk, the poor have good news preached to them. What are those things? The blind see physical brokenness the lame walk physical brokenness the the lepers are cleansed that's spiritual uncleanliness they're made clean and they're alienated they're so isolated like many of our older folks during covid right they're isolated because they can't even come to the assembly they're not allowed they're forbade to and now they can come and the poor. I mean, you don't have to check your income before you come in. Jesus goes to those who are in most need and meets the need. Jesus says, I hate the effects of the fall, and I have come to do something about it. See, miracles are primarily signs of the kingdom that you know what he's actually doing is he's suspending 
bending the natural order. He's restoring it. He's he's reversing the effects of the fall. He's turning creation back to what it was as well as pointing to what it will be when he returns. That's powerful. That's helpful. Because Jesus hasn't come just to forgive our sins. He's come to restore us physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, the whole person back to who we ought to be in Christ. That's satisfying. And last, Jesus has come to satisfy as the bread of heaven is satisfying for the heart. Because Jesus is saying that you have a spiritual hunger. I have a spiritual hunger. Every one of us does. Underneath all our apparent affections and hungers is a spiritual hunger. He says in verse 27, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Meaning we all have a hunger. It's very deep. And wherever it's placed and whatever is put there, whether it's family, relationships, money, position, power, possessions, food, comfort, whatever we put us there is never going to satisfy us. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And when he says this, I want you to notice, read this this afternoon. This is where people start to leave. People start to say, this is getting weird. I'm out of here. You know, I can't, I, I can't believe that. And they leave. And what does Jesus turn to his disciples and say, you guys want to leave too? They go, Lord, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. No, he's saying, I have the bread of life and I will give it to you. He's not just saying, I can show you a way to a superior spiritual reality. He's saying, I am spiritual reality. I am the bread of life. It's utterly unique. You don't see this anywhere in human history. Anyone speaking like this unless they're an absolute lunatic. Okay? If you read... Verses 34 to 40, there's 17 times he says the words, I, me, my. Nobody is that egocentric. You know, but yet there's no one who's ever taught like this and had the impact on the world like Jesus has had. He's saying, I'm the bread of life, and without me, you're going to starve. You're going to starve. He doesn't just say, you know, I have the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I'm the ultimate person. And I will be broken like bread for you. I will give you life. I'm not just going to show you the way to life. When you come to me, you don't get a life coach. You don't get a rule book. You get me. You're getting life. And you have this life when you come to Jesus based upon his work on the cross for you. 
and you trust in him and what he does on the cross, his brokenness becomes your life and vice versa. I will be torn apart like the broken bed out of a love for you. So how do we respond to that? Jesus says, I'm not just a teacher. I'm not just somebody who, who comes along with great power and can show you all these great miracles. I've come to show you that I'm God and I accept you based on just who you are and who you are in me. When you rely on me, God accepts you and receives you in. And I'm sure there's some in our culture who hear that and say, nah, I, I, we, we, we don't believe that. You know, we're, we're 21st century people. You know, we, really? You have people, you have friends who say that, right? You've heard this before? We can't believe that. And I, and I say, what about that can't you believe? Well, you know what? We just can't believe that anymore. You know, that whole Jesus is the only way thing. You know, it's too, it's too offensive. Well, I said, have you read John chapter 6? Do you think Jesus doesn't know this is possibly offensive? Do you think you're more offended than they were? The Greco, the Greeks and the Romans that are in this audience and the Jews? Read this. This is what we call a Scottish revival. It's kind of like my ministry here. You preach, they leave. <laughs> they just go. And that's what's happening to Jesus. You know? They were highly offended. So don't think yourself, ah, I'm a 21st century, or, or if someone shares that with you, don't, don't let them get away with that arrogant attitude as if they were more highly offended than the, the original audience or they're superior to the original audience. No, they couldn't believe it either. But yet a few did. They hung in there. Back to the first point. And they thought about it. You know, when someone says, can we talk about the miracles? Absolutely. That, that kind of proves our point. Let's think about these miracles. Let's think about it. And the whole body of work of Christ. And dear Christian friends, recognize that whenever we're called to a task that the Holy Spirit calls us to, we are totally inadequate for it. <laughs> like Philip. Jesus looks at Philip and says, you need to make them lunch. Jesus like, we can't. That's right, you can't. What do you got? What have you got? Five, this little guy has five barley loaves and two fish, and look what he did. Look what he did. It's a common pattern in the Christian life that when God calls us into Christian ministry, he will fill us with the Holy Spirit to do the task he's called us to do, and we will feel ourselves totally inadequate for that task. That's common. And we need to be willing to go there <laughs> and not shriek back. Because I never began to be a good husband until I realized I wasn't. I never began to see I was a good father until I wasn't. I never began to be a good coach until I realized I wasn't. 
I never realized, began to be a good pastor until I realized I wasn't. No, the first step is to realize that you're powerless over the issues and the problems in your life and you're totally inadequate. God wants to show you where those loaves are and it will feel like it's not enough and go. Follow him. And I encourage you to not walk away from this study. I know it's a lot, but don't be overwhelmed and instead, let's make him our life and our all in all. All in. All in all. So let's apply this. Number one, approach this with your mind. <laughs> approach this with your intellect. Jesus couldn't have done the miraculous. Okay, well, let's talk about that. You know? Let's look at the whole body of work that Jesus did and why he's doing these things. Let's look at... And ask ourselves those questions. If someone says what he says and does what he does, who must this be? Right? Approach this with your mind and ask yourself these questions. Join us Sunday nights in the Little Church. If you can't be us here with us uh, in person, Wednesday nights, it's on our YouTube channel, it's on the website, it's on our Facebook Live page. Join us and send me a text question because I know you will have some kind of question. And if you don't have a question, I have tons of them. So, you know, just join us. We're, we're figuring this out ourselves, and we're equipping ourselves to be salt and light to our neighborhood. Secondly, the second point, if we're spiritually satisfied in the whole person, we should be the most concerned about the needs of the whole person, both here and outside of our walls. Amen? Amen. Think about that, okay? So there's needs around us. We need to lead the, be the point of the spear in social injustice and mercy ministry right here in the West Shore and to the city of Cleveland. I got a good friend downtown, Ed McGee, who's, he's black and he's the pastor of True Vine Missionary Baptist Church. He did urban young life for 30 years to Glenville High School. And uh, Ed's a great guy and he loves Jesus. You know, maybe we can partner with Ed in some way to help the needs there and not be the great white hope. Just work with his board so that they can meet needs you know, and, and love them. Speaking of malnutrition, you know, he, his ministry there, and he works the gospel into it, he helped develop the east side market because Glenville is a, what's called a food desert. It's a food desert. The only food you can get in Glenville is McDonald's and fast food, and, everything. That's, that, and that's what they're eating. That's what our urban folks are eating, and, and, and he's like, no wonder we're dying he goes, and not only are they physically starving and malnourished, they're spiritually malnourished. And he's using this ministry of this new supermarket with, with actual fresh vegetables and fruits and everything else and doing classes on how to do eating right and they minister the gospel. Isn't that great? How, maybe the Lord's asking us. I don't know. I'm just throwing it up there. Just throwing it up there. Don't know. But we need to be on the point. Maybe there's someone here who's lost their job. Maybe there's someone here who needs a hand up. 
the vestry is praying through this. If you have an idea, talk to a vestry person. And we're going to seek together how we can best minister mercy for the whole person. It's a lifestyle. It's not just Christmas, right? It's a lifestyle that we need to do, be part of. Last three, make Jesus your life. When you believe this, you change. To be saved is to say, not what I've done, but only what Jesus has done for me. Because of what Jesus did, I make him my life. Don't point to your life. Don't point to your good works. Point to him. And as we look to Jesus Christ and we rest on him, we, we go from death to life instantaneously. So dear Christian friends, if we feed on him as the bread of life, it means constantly thinking about this. Every problem I have is because I'm making something my life rather than Jesus. Colossians 3 says, Christ is your life. Your life is hidden with Christ. It's hidden with God. So if you're anxious, you don't, you don't say, stop being anxious. <laughs> Instead, say, I'm making something in my life more than Jesus. I've pinned my hopes on something other than Jesus. I've pinned my security on something else other than Jesus. Let's look to Jesus. If I'm angry, it's something I've made something more than Jesus. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever feeds on me will never hunger or thirst again. That's intense, isn't it? I know it's intense. and I know it's tough for some to take on, but I want to encourage you. I love what George Whitfield used to say at the end of every message. George Whitfield was the great evangelist Anglican preacher with who with John Wesley saved England from a bloody revolution, came to America, and went all over America and preached the gospel as part of the Great Awakening. At the end of every message, he would say, Now, go and learn what that means. Yeah, when you think about that, I've just listened to you. I know what it means. But do we? Do we really know what it means? If we're going to look at his whole life, this is the type of text that we just need to Read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest. Like the cow who chews on it a while, swallows it. My journey people, remember this? We chew on it, swallow it, spit it back up, chew on it a little more. You know, it's gross. I know, sorry. You know, but you chew on it. And that helps us to learn what it means so that we don't starve. Realize what Jesus has done Realize all who he is. Make him your life. He who comes to me will never hunger and will never thirst again. Now, go and learn what that means. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you as we come to the table this day 
that we can take these great truths and in communion appropriate them for ourselves. That when we take up the bread, we remind ourselves that you are the bread of life and whoever comes to you will never hunger ever again. That's us. And we come to you, Lord. And I'm certain there's some in the, set, in the, in the range of my voice who are hear this and they've said, I've, I've really never done that. But I come now. Lord, may people come for the first time. And for the rest of us who need to feed on you, Lord Jesus, as we say in our hearts by faith, help us, Lord, to realize the difference of making you our life has for us. That you don't call us to just a simple rule book living. We, you don't call us just to, to even a radical lifestyle, but you come to change us at the very core of our being. Lord, help us to make you our life, Lord Jesus Christ, rather than anything else. And by doing so, we'll be completely changed. Now help us to learn what that means. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.